Pascal Siakam back in Toronto tonight. Let's talk about his first four weeks-ish, month-ish with the Pacers. How has it been? Where can it be better? What does this all look like? Plus a little Doug McDermott talk with Jay Rigdon all on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Wednesday, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, a lot to dive into. Pascal Siakam back in Toronto, Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara on the other side, and it's been almost exactly four weeks since the trade, Pacers won't play after this game for over a week. So let's take stock of what we'll call the first month of the Pascal Siakam with the Pacers experience. All the numbers, all the good and the bad of it. What does it mean going forward? How can they be a little better with Siakam on the team? Jay Rigdon from the Friday and friend of the pod is going to join us to talk all things Pascal Siakam and his fit with the Pacers. And in the spirit of talking about a traded player, a little bit of Doug McDermott talk at the end. Lots to cover today ahead of Pacers Raptors. All lot of Pascal Siakam. Let's just get right to it. He's back. We finally met in person, so this is even better. It's the managing editor of Fried Egg, Go- Fried Egg Golf. Holy cow, I, you just said it to me less than a minute ago, and I still messed it up. It's Jay Rigdon and Jay, Pacers Raptors tonight. Bruce Brown and Jordan Wara against the Pacers. Not really too, like... Pacers celebs or anything, but still a thing. Pascal Siakam in Toronto, that will be a thing. It's going to be quite the game in Toronto. So we will talk a lot about Pascal Siakam's first four weeks would be tomorrow. They don't play again after. It's Tuesday for us talking. They don't play again for another week after that. So we'll say first month. Let's say Siakam's first month with the Pacers. How are you, Uh, especially after the Pacers did something resembling basketball on Monday night? Yeah, uh, I'm good, Tony. It was it was good to meet you in person for the first time. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it's yeah, and uh, the the Monday night game wasn't ideal. Uh, it's you know <laughs> uh, it's never a good fandom moment when your team loses that game and that in that fashion too. Very frustrating. But yeah, other than that, I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you doing? Sometimes I like to sit on Twitter after those games, see what people are saying. Try to see what people I don't need to take seriously anymore because they just go way over the top from one loss. But I immediately left Twitter that time to do my research project of which team has the most losses to the bottom five teams. And so I had to crank that out. And yes, it is, in fact, the Pacers. But hey, they are second in wins against the top five teams. So this is a strange basketball team that we will continue to try to figure stuff out about. We're also figuring stuff out about Pascal Siakam, his first month with the Pacers, very interesting. Jay, will you let me just run through some numbers for a minute? Can I be very dorky? Not these aren't even that dorky. Can I run through some numbers for a minute? Absolutely. Okay, the Pacers made the trade about a month ago. They are seven and eight since the trade. Hard schedule doesn't matter. They probably would like. They certainly would like to be better than that. They are seven and seven exactly when Pascal Siakam plays. Okay, again, that's you'd like that to be better, but eh, okay. The weird part of the record. They're six and five in their last 11. Like once he had that practice, you could tell things got a little better. I think that matters, but not a lot. That's not that much better. Still over 500. The weird part is a lot of those like slightly over, slightly under 500 records. That's okay. They'll figure it out. When Tyrese Halbert and Pascal Siakam play together nine games, the Pacers are three and six. What? That doesn't make any sense. It's all kind of strange. And then you let's, let's pull the hood back a little bit. Why is this happening? 
Well, I don't know because Pascal Siakam this season with the Pacers on the floor, plus six net rating, plus 5.99. That's great. Their offense is amazing. When he's off the floor, they're plus 0.29. That includes games he doesn't play, which includes their whole season. If you just include the games Siakam plays, they're on with, with him on. They're plus six without him. They're minus 16.3 So is the net rating. So if you wanted to go to your first, why aren't the Pacers better since Siakam? It's because their bench has had some god-awful games since then, right? The, the Portland game, the Hornets game that just happened, um, one of the games in New York. That's thing one I wanted to point out. Thing two. Pascal Siakam plus Tyrese Halbert on the floor. Pacers currently plus 7.7 net rating. That's really good. They're plus 4.7 with Pascal on Halbert and off. That's great. That's one of the pros of the trade. It's it with them both off since the trade. Minus 18.5. Very bad. So a lot of stuff to say. And I have more numbers that aren't as rosy, but. A lot of stuff to say. I think there's stuff to work through, and I have some like stuff I want to say about Siakam and his usage. I thought they didn't give him the ball enough Monday night, for example. When he's playing, he's been fine to pretty good. His defense has not been as good as I thought. His offense has maybe been a little better. When he plays with Halliburton, all right, good job, Pacers. Every other instance, <laughs> terrible since the trade. I don't know what to make of that because – Part of me wants to say, well, the bench just needs to be better. Part of me also wants to say the bench is different or playing in different mix and match combos because they have a new player on the team. So that's the numbers. We can get into the nitty gritty in a second. What say you about Pascal Siakam's first month with the Pacers? Yeah, it's been an awkward way to try to integrate a player like that. Um, Because first of all, when he came over, Halliburton was immediately, he was out for that long stretch. And so the team kind of adjusted to Siakam in a way that was never going to be how they adjusted long-term because Halliburton wasn't playing yet. And I think it's a combination of that. And it is, I think the new rotations and trying to get all that integrated in along with like various like nagging injuries. Like I, I, the game I was at at Sacramento where I met you matter and had, you know, 31 points and he has not looked close to that since he's both (laughs) sick and hurt apparently. And, you know, it's hard to say. Like, I kind of feel right now, my main takeaway is that I don't think any team has ever needed the all-star break more than this Pacers team right now. Uh, I think that's kind of what I'm hoping is a bit of a reset period. Um, and I think it's just it's just hard to, like, Siakam is a unique player. Um, I think he fits well in theory with what they're trying to do. There's a reason they acquired him. But I think, you know, in practice, that's going to take a while sometimes. And I think we're kind of seeing that kind of hit in different spots right now. I agree that with that, uh, and you could tell like he practiced once, and they were like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> we get it." On the other hand, I'm kind of like, he's good enough that I'm almost like it shouldn't matter that much, right? Like at some point, it's just like this guy's so good that clunkiness shouldn't matter this much, and so that's kind of where I wanted to like really think about the Pacers and how they play. So Siakam's had a couple games hitting threes. It doesn't matter that much to me. He he just. This, this isn't like a negative. This is going to sound like a negative, and I'm just kind of opining about the style of Pascal Siakam playing basketball. right? Like last night, he would just catch it in the mid post, and like I can shoot it over Miles Bridges. Or like, hey, if I catch it at the elbow and I just do a one-dribble shot from 10 feet, it's a good shot. That's like a 55% shot. If I pirouette through the lane catching it for a long, at a long two, that's a good shot. Like These are all things that are strengths of Pascal Siakam offensively. With the Pacers so far, I have to scroll. I should have had this up. His true shooting percentage is 62.9. That's awesome. That's really good. At the same time, the way he gets his shots and where he kind of likes to shoot from isn't like 
the anti-Pacers necessarily, but kind of, you know, like they are very good at three and rim and they are very limiting on like, yes, Andrew Nemhard, TJ McConnell, sometimes Ben Mather and Tyrese Halbert. You guys are good at that floater shot. You guys take it. Everybody else kind of limit yourselves to the efficient spots. So I think just like his shot diet being so different from what they're used to, for lack of a better term, has sometimes made it feel like they like avoid it, if that makes any sense, where they're like, oh, we let's let's get to our shots instead of letting him be really good and get to his shot that's just as valuable as other shots. I have no real basis for that. I'll run through some game-by-game usage in a second, but it just kind of feels that way sometimes. Yeah, it absolutely does. I feel like they open a lot of games with a lot of players who are not Tyrese Halliburton or Pascal Siakam taking early shots. Uh, And I also feel like the games when he first came over before Halliburton came back, I thought it felt different with him on offense in those games too. It felt like they were, he was attacking quicker. They're kind of getting him the ball quicker. He had a lot of like deep early seals in the post and transition. And I also felt like he was making his moves to the basket a little different too. Like, and I, you know, I think, if we could kind of like find a balance there. Um, and the other side of all this is that I don't know how good Halliburton is feeling on a daily basis sometimes. And so I think it's still kind of all just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to keep track of. But. It is. And, and, and so it's like, maybe this is just like, Hey, everybody defend better. And then it doesn't matter. But like the, it shouldn't be as, it's not clunky. Like the numbers are like, this is really good. They are scoring awesome. But just sometimes it feels like it's like, for, they're like thinking like oh yeah pascal <laughs> like yeah, you know what, if that makes any sense oh yeah that guy he's really good you know it's like and it shouldn't be new new this long in but it's still like again numerically a 124.3 offensive rating with him on the floor is just like holy smokes like that is that's insane with him and halberton their offensive rating jay is 126.3 like that's insane that's like sniffing the suns with all three of their their studs on the floor level good. Uh, their defensive rating is also a pretty high number, but not actually that crazy. Only one eighteen point something. So I don't, I don't know how to like make it smoother, but that's the next step for the Pacers is where like when they were at their best in whatever time, in season tournament, whatever late December when they were playing really well, early January this year, the ball is just like popping crisp, boom, fast, early offense. This guy's open. That guy's open. It doesn't matter. You trust basically everyone on the team to shoot in any situation. Right. And they, they they didn't feel like that, especially in the first half Monday, like the most recent game specifically. It didn't feel like that. And then the second half, when they took the lead, they were up five, six, whatever, in the third quarter. Quinn Buckner said it on the broadcast. He's like, there we go. The ball's popping. It's crisp. It's moving. And that was the starting five. And as soon as subs came in and they were mixing and matching, it all crumbled. And so this isn't on Siakam. He's playing well. I just – eventually they're going to they're gonna figure it out, I think. Maybe that's too rose-colored glasses. But I, he's too good to not – but right now it's like 80 to 90% of where it needs to be to just be free flowing, keep it moving and be constantly threatening. Cause they've had too many, just like, well, we don't have our starting five out there. We're, we're thinking too much. We're not as ball pop and we're not as pacers. If that makes any sense. It does. It does. And I think the other side of it is they also, you know, traded a big part of the bench offense in buddy healed. So like, that's another change that they've made throughout this oh, whole stretch. <laughs> yes. I figured we would. And it's, yeah, and so I think all of that kind of combines. Like, Heald was a big part of that pace and keeping things moving that way. And, like, he was one of the most active offensive players you're ever going to see in terms of his movement and what he was doing all the time. And I think it, it has been – I noticed the same thing with, like, it's almost like the flow is just a little different with Siakam right now. Like, I don't like I don't think he's, like, a ball stopper in that way. Like, I think he's trying. He's moving quickly. He's getting to his spots. That's what they need him to do. But I think 
the overall pace has been different. It's kind of seems like I, I've seen them throw the ball out of bounds so much more in the last few weeks, I thought, than the entire rest of the season, yeah. which to me says that like people don't know where everyone else is right now yet. And so I'm not saying that's an excuse. They should probably know that by now, but I think that's it's just kind of telling. What up, y'all? Have to take a little break here. Talk to you about our lovely friends over at Hungry Root. Grocery shopping and meal planning for specific dietary needs or preferences can be challenging. If this applies to you or someone you know, you have got to try Hungry Root. If you've got an anti-inflammatory diet, high protein, all of these can be accomplished with Hungry Root. What exactly is Hungry Root? It's our partner in healthy living. It's the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. You just take a fun, short quiz. Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, kitchen appliances use, all that, and they will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal taste, and each order is fully customizable you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want everything from hungry root follows a simple standard it's got to taste good be quick to make and contain whole trusted ingredients save hours of planning shopping and cooking with hungry root which delivers food you'll love right now hungry root is offering locked on pacers listeners 40 percent off your first delivery and free veggies for life just go to hungryroot.com slash lockdown to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash lockdown. Don't forget to use our link so they know that we sent you. They've played 15 games since the trade, which is great because NBA.com lets you sort by last 15 games. The Pacers, the Pace team, their pa- Pace is in their name, are ninth in pace since then. That's like still fast, but not what you think of when you think of, of the Pacers, certainly, for the season now, including all the, oh, my computer decided, no, no stats for you. Okay, there we go. Uh, the whole season, including the time before that, they're second, right? Only the Wizards are faster. So clearly slower, to your point. I think that makes sense. And you nailed another thing I wanted to get to. I am not saying anything by this 201-minute sample that did happen to exist before the trade deadline. But the Pacers did play 201 minutes with Buddy Heald and Pascal Siakam on the floor. Buddy Heald started, and sometimes that was the wrong choice, but they still did it. Their offensive rating with Heald plus Siakam, regardless of the other three players, was 129.8. That is is breaking the graphs. Like, people can't post graphics of that. It's so high. Their defense was awful. It was 122. But they were, it's still a plus eight net rating almost. Like, they were just destroying teams. And so that maybe is part of the very recent adjustment and losing to Golden State pathetically last Thursday, losing to the Hornets, which in general is pathetic in general. They did beat the Knicks in the middle of that, but. That it hasn't been awesome since that either. And that was an effective thing, even when he was coming off the bench. He came in early in the games or played a good amount. Like he played 25 minutes in the last game before he was ultimately dealt or something like that. So that is also a factor is that they lost a player in that rotation that didn't make it so clunky, where now McDermott's playing only in first halves and Matherin is not looking good and whatever his current role is. I'll pull up his game log in a second. But that just, that all also factors into this. Yeah. And so it, when the Patriots have an entire offensive system built around like kind of being able to know where everyone else is at any given point. Speed, uh, random, yeah. Yes, exactly. It's, you know, that's going to, it's going to change things. Now, again, I'm not saying that's an excuse. Like they should probably be able to figure it out. And the numbers say that it's actually not that bad, but I think it feels like it feels much streakier now. And it feels like the lows are much lower with the offense. Whereas before I felt like the yes. lows were always on the defensive end. Like the offense was very consistent game to game. They were going to go out there and score. Um, with like very few exceptions. But now I feel like the offense, like being able to be broken like it was, like the Charlotte game specifically, like I'm sure it's a combination of a lot of factors. But I mean, at, at certain points, like I wanted them to bring in TJ McConnell just to go ISO because that was the only offense I felt <laughs> any kind of reliability about at times. Like, 
it is really strange, isn't it? That and it's it's strange too that they've had these low scoring games with a bananas offensive rating with Siakam playing. That kind of underscores how bad their bench has been, right? This, they win that Kings game right after the trade without Siakam playing because their bench was like, holy cow, unbelievably good. And then in Portland, Halbert and Siakam awesome. They only score one fifteen in Phoenix, one ten. Denver, one oh nine. This is all since the the the. The Raptors trade. Knicks 105. They could have won that game. They only gave up 109, right? 109 against Golden State last week. 102 Monday, right? That's almost half their games in that stretch where it's like, that's it. That's all the Pacers scored. And they were like going from first to like sixth ish in offense when they really made those adjustments to be more defensive focused and bigger and all that. But they were playing defense pretty well. They're not anymore. It's gotten a little worse. You know, 131 against Golden State, 129 against Houston, 133 against Sacramento, 129 at Boston, 131 against the Sun. You get it. I don't need to keep doing this. So maybe we're overthinking this. Maybe Siakam has been awesome and this tiny 10% improvement on offense would be nice, but maybe they just need a guard and have their bench be better. Like Matherin specifically, some people wrote this. You know, Bob Kravitz is asking all these questions after the trade about this upcoming change for Matherin and his role and all this stuff. And I, I don't think it's going to change as much as has been let on, but he is more important now without Buddy Heald with the reserves. And in the three games since the trade deadline, he has a total of 15 points, and he's made four out of 21 shots. <laughs> That's not very good. He's got to be better, right? So there's a lot of layers to this that on one hand, I'm like, yeah, if they can figure this stuff out to look a little better. On the other hand, it's like they just defended a little bit better and their bench was 10% better. Maybe they're 10 and 5 since this trade. Who knows? They have a lot of close games in there. Yeah, the margins are very thin. Uh, I think we're also seeing the importance of Jalen Smith as a bench backup five who can yeah. shoot and hit shots that way. I think that kind of keeps things a little more stable between the bench and the starting lineups in terms of how they play. Um, and so I think that's also been kind of a big absence. For them. I agree. Uh, even though they did win in New York without him, and he's a good player. Right? Like having, having him is better than not. Siakam's shooting from certain distances with the Pacers is is just mind-blowing, right? Three to 10 feet, so like in the lane, floater range, 56%. That would be a career high for him. I don't expect that to remain that high, uh, but insane. 60% from 10 to 16 feet, and he's been like routinely high 40s, low 50s from there. That's insane. Long twos, 53%. So some of these numbers will probably dip, right, which is something the Pacers will also have to work into their analysis going forward is like these shots that Siakam's been drilling that are sort of now, again, not anti-pacers or not stuff he's routinely good at. He's also at his second lowest ever percentage at the rim. You can expect that to go up. And those are shots they should be trying to get him as often as possible. So how much? the Because he shoots a lot more at the rim than those other distances. In fact, career high right now, 33.6% of his shots coming at the rim. Actually, that's not true. Uh, he was a little better than that in his first and second seasons. All that to say, a lot of... I'm on a numbers kick. People are going to be like, bro, get out of the spreadsheets. Like part of me thinks get him the ball. Part of me also thinks try to find him a way to get more to the rim. Like they, they his first basket as a pacer was this like Halberton passing the ball and was like pointing at him to go around the Miles Turner screen. I'll never forget it. They did that last night again against Charlotte. And there's like still a moment where Siakam's looking at Tyrese Halberton, like ready to pass it back to him. You know, just go, go to the rim, go to the rim, go to the basket. So his percentages are good. I think he will be able to get those shots, especially as the way that teams defend the Pacers. His percentages can be higher than they were in Toronto, but get to the rim, Pascal Siakam. And uh, I think he's been good, but a lot of the numbers are just really interesting to kind of parse through and figure out how this time has gone so far.
Yeah, absolutely. There has been less like cutting, I think, than I expected, especially when Halliburton came back. I kind of envisioned a lot more of like him getting a lot of easy baskets right at the rim off of like slip screens or things like that. Or even in transition, I feel like there's been less transition than I expected in that way, too. Uh, But again, part of that is also Halliburton has been hit or miss health wise too that whole stretch. So like it's it's hard to kind of separate that for me in terms of like what's the finished product going to look like for this team, like once they kind of get a little more integrated. But at the same time, like, you know, he's also, Siakam's also impressed me in a lot of ways. Like his, his ability to get his own shot that way, the way he can is like unmatched on the team, I think in this, at this point. And his outside shooting has also been impressive. I know he's getting a lot of wide open looks because of Tyrese Halliburton, um, occasionally going off the backboard to himself to create said wide open looks. (laughs) But like all those threes he's taking, don't feel like, you know, they're not bad shots. He's getting wide open looks and he's taking them and he's hitting them at a, you know, a rate that's been solid to good. So I, I think that's encouraging as well. Here's something I'll be curious about, too, when it comes to Siakam's numbers. Uh, do you know the last time in his career he took fewer than uh, 3.7 free throw attempts per game? That'd be his second season in the NBA. So maybe this is, <laughs> again, about the sh- <laughs> every Pacers fan just rolled their eyes to the back of their brain. Um, maybe this is about the shots he's taking. Maybe this is about what I just said. Go to the rim. Get to the basket. Maybe it's about his usage, and that's the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to McDermott. But I expect that that will raise somewhat from 3.7. Like, even his third year in the league, the year he won most improved player, it was higher than this. So uh, I expect that that number will go up a little bit as well. So there are reasons to think his efficiency to this point, being at 63% true shooting, is a little fluky because he's just drilling every mid-range shot. I don't think that'll last forever. There are also reasons to say, hey, he's going to get open threes with the Pacers in a way he couldn't with the Raptors. We've already seen that. He's going to get to the foul line. He should get to the foul line more. And if he just gets a little bit better finishing at the rim where he's shown through his entire career, he's like 70 plus percent all the time. Maybe he can stabilize at like 61, 62. And if that comes with the bench and defense improvement, or they just stop looking so like they're like thinking, then I think it'll be fine. But for now, they're a 500 team when he plays. And Durant. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to make sure you're going to dive back into the stats there for a while and more numbers (laughs) there. He needed. Uh, No, like it's, I think, I think so too. I'm encouraged by it still. I still feel like it was a a good addition in that way. Um, Oh yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. And so like, it's, I think, I think it'll, it'll get better. I'm hoping it settles in and I'm hoping that everything kind of, you know, comes together a little better here in the second half of the season. One more break here, everybody. So we can talk. But the lovely folks over at eBay Motors, passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit. Only available to U.S. customers. Concur completely. The other thing... Oh, I closed the tab, didn't I? Dang. The other thing I wanted to talk about that's been kind of interesting is... His usage by game last night was like the second time he was below 20% usage in a game uh, below that before that. I think Memphis was the only other time I'll make sure to pull it up really quick to double check. But like that has been really interesting as it's not necessarily super consistent. The only real stretch of consistency for his usage 
was that pre-Halberton return stretch. Okay, I've got it up now. I don't. Uh, for those of you who can't tell because I edited it out, I, I just literally left the call by accident. Um, 20% his first two games, 25, 24, 26, 30. Those were all his first couple games. Then he had a 19% against usage. Then Halberton came back, right? And it, here's his usage by game since then. 22, 30, 24, 26, 25, 20, low, 25, right where it should be, 17.8 last night against the Hornets, his lowest since joining the team. It seems like they're at their most successful when it's that 25-ish level if he's like finishing a quarter or so of their possessions but i i think that that being kind of all over the map illustrates kind of everything we've been we've been talking about yeah absolutely and i think it's i i I think they just need to adjust more like i think that's what they need to do i need to adjust to having like another player of that caliber on the team and i'm not saying people have to give up their own shots in different ways like i think that's part of what makes the pacers work is that everyone can be a threat at any time but i do think that i'm hoping that you know the staff kind of finds a way to make whatever adjustments they need to make to get everyone in better positions here uh down the stretch yeah i think the break will be great help for them if they can beat the raptors tonight which yeah, Pacers don't get the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> no, not at all. Not the rest of the season, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like even they were playing well, it's like, oh, they should be the bad teams now. Their schedule's easy the rest of the way. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. They have they have got to earn every benefit of the doubt they get. The Raptors just had drama with like Scotty Barnes leaving the floor early. They got smoked by the Spurs. Siakam's back. They're gonna want to win. Um, anyway, they if they could win that game and then have like a a really nice harder practice and then like one other productive practice before they play. Eight days later, I think that would go a long way for them. Like they had a practice with Pascal, but remember, like Ty was hurt then. So they have they've only had like one shorter one with both. And that takes me to a guy who has a practice with the Pacers, yeah, per my knowledge. Doug McDermott. Let's close out with uh we might have to revise the nickname until he makes a shot. McBuckets, who has not made a shot yet for the Pacers. He's been Mick assists, I guess. He has one assist. That's his only stat with the Pacers so far. Look, all the threes you took against the Hornets were like <laughs> wide open. What? Perfect. You want Doug McDermott to take that shot. Uh, he has not made them yet for the team. I have very few impressions of him in 15-ish minutes of this team. I don't I don't know what they think of him. I think it was noteworthy that in the second half uh, against the Hornets, they went to a 10th player, and it was Ben Shepard. I was joking with somebody on Media Row. The nights of the trade, I said, how do you think we get to March before the should Ben Shepard be playing over McDermott discussion start? How about uh, two games? And uh, maybe McDermott will practice and make some shots and it'll look fine, but uh, not not the glowingest start. And some of that's just that he hasn't, again, made anything all over five, all from three. He has an assist. That's it. Do you have any impressions of him? Does it even matter to you because it's only been two games and he hasn't practiced? Does it mean anything that they traded a shooter for a shooter? And this guy has not been shooting. Like, where, where are you at on the Doug McDermott experience right now? Well, I think it's all small sample size so far. Like, I'm not going to draw any conclusions at this point uh, for how what like how what to be able to contribute the rest of the season. Uh, I'm not super stoked to be back to the Doug McDermott home road split discourse. Like, he's going to well, come well, out. Well, 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 he's over like, five on the road so far. Mm-hmm. So, yikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not ideal. Uh, and like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I think. There, he's gonna he's gonna hit shots. He will make shots. Uh, he almost hit a couple last night. Uh, some of those should have gone in. But if he's not hitting shots, he's not doing a whole lot else yet. Like they haven't done any of like you know like 
when he was here, when he was a pitcher the first time, he did a lot more like in terms of like cutting to the rim, like playing off of Simonis, like finishing that way. And he is like a pretty versatile offensive player. And I kind of hope maybe that kind of comes with a little more time as well. Maybe he can offer a little more that way off the bench. Um, but it does kind of seem like at this point they uh, have, at least for this stretch of time, while they're adjusting, they have made the team worse by making those trades. And I'm not saying that's yeah. a reason they shouldn't have done so, but it's, you know, here we are. Yeah, I, look, I thought that'd be the case, but I, I also thought Doug McDermott would make some threes. Right. <laughs> it's, only, it's only been two games. I'm not two games. actually reacting to that. That is just a statement no. of fact. Um, this is a stat for you. Just It's it's just a number. Every double-digit scoring game Doug McDermott has had this season, he has made at least three threes, right? Which is to say, this is the year you could see the transition, and some of this is just how the Spurs play, but where he was like, so much of his offensive value was the three. And that, I think that's good. That's a good thing for a guy who's as good as him as him, but he has to make them in that case. And that has not happened for the Pacers where his three-point attempt right now is 100%. Every shot he's taken for the Pacers is a three. He's got to make those at some point. But it's not like not encouraging that he got four open threes in seven and a half minutes against the Hornets. That matters. If you made two of those, they might win that game. Um, he's had multiple games for the Spurs this year where he missed five threes in one game. Like this is no, no alarms are going off for me, but that's like the thing, you know, uh, this was said about Buddy Heald who actually like has some okay passing games and like, is an improved defender this season, despite still being a bad one, like who, ha- who adds other skills to the floor, but still the conversation, even I said this a lot was like, if he's not making threes, his values super low with McDermott. If he's not making threes, his values, like, like almost none. So he's got to make them. It's negative value at that point um, if he's (laughs) not hitting threes. Like it goes far below. Yeah. So I think he will. I think there's a reason they went and got him. I think Carlisle has familiarity with him, obviously, uh, from a short stint in Dallas. And it was encouraging. Like he got open looks last night. Like he was getting immediately came in and had open shots. Even before, we're like, no one within a mile. Of him. Correct. And so that's good. Like that's 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 a good sign for the offense because again, I feel like he's gonna make them at some point. Um, but he would one would hope. Uh the other side of it is like uh, we are back to so seeing Doug McDermott play defense, where my favorite thing about that is he always looks like he's in the right spots to me, like he's in front of the guy, and yet they just hit shots right in his face anyway, the whole time. That's like the Doug McDermott defensive experience to me. And that I'm not super excited to see again. But again, in like a limited role-playing scenario where he's just coming in as a shooter against bench players, like he should fit in that spot. Like that should work theoretically. Um, but we'll see. Hasn't played the second half of game yet of two tight games. That sticks with me. Going to Ben Shepard last night will stick with me. I think you give McDermott like two, two and a half, three weeks. See what it is. See if you could do better in the buyout market if he's not performing by then. I don't think you can, but you could see, <laughs> check. And if not, consider Ben Shepard like they did and just see if his defense and energy is more valuable than than what they're getting from the vet. I would imagine that, that McDermott will prove to be slightly more valuable this season, but we'll see. Raptors tonight, are you expecting anything from uh, Jordan Wara and Bruce Brown? Jordan Wara doing that thing that he did for the Pacers where he gets traded to another team and becomes like twice as good immediately. Yeah, big revenge game opportunity for those guys here. Uh, you never know. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting. I never like at this point. Like I don't know what to. I could see anything happening with this game for the Pacers at this spot in time. Like, I could see them coming out and like getting back together and like rolling easily, and I could see them coming out and looking completely broken and failing and having the All Star break in Indy feel much more muted and down for Pacers fans because of it. But yeah. Jordan War got traded to the Raptors. He played four minutes of garbage time in their second game in New York. 
He hit his only shot. It was a three. He played eight minutes of garbage time in their fourth game against the Clippers. Didn't score. Then he was in the rotation when they played the Hawks in Atlanta. And you know what happens when Jordan Wara plays the Hawks in Atlanta and gets a rotation opportunity for a new team. 24 points for Jordan Wara. They almost win. He had 17 two days later at Chicago. He just gets traded and just <laughs> drills threes and is this guy. Um, he's kind of in and out of their rotation still. He's played their last three games, which have been all blowouts. I don't know what his future holds in the NBA. Bruce Brown, of course, playing in every game. For the Raptors, 26 minutes a game, averaging uh, 9.4 points. He's, his minutes are down from his time with the Pacers. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what kind of impact they have. It'll be interesting to see them in person again. But this whole night is going to be about the guy we spent the most time talking about, Pascal Siakam's first game in Toronto as a visitor. Lockdown Raptors will have more for that. Jay, thank you for the time talking about the two new Pacers no game is a must-win game when you're over 500, but like, man, with the <laughs> the vibes, the feeling, the stress of importance coming out of the break, be a good win if the Pacers could get this one. It's a big vibes game for sure. Like, that's exactly game. what I was going to say. Big yeah. vibes game. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird, right? Like you can never these weird games. Sometimes the team with all the emotions it goes terrible, and the players I don't know they come out of the break with. Three in a, four in a row at home, Detroit, Dallas, Toronto, New Orleans. Then they have a road trip that's a joke. And then they have a little bit of a hard stretch before another joke of a stretch. So until like March 16th, they have like three games that are really hard and all the rest are winnable. Uh, for this team, I suppose nothing is that case. But like getting a good vibes win before that kind of stretch could feel pretty good. Jay, this was wonderful. Where can people find you, your musings on the Pacers, and your work covering the sport of golf, which is currently in a time of of debate and disarray because of the Phoenix Waste Management yikes open right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the main discourse at the moment. Um, it's kind of nice to talk about fan behavior at an event instead of like <laughs> geopolitical concerns, uh, but which is what I have to be covering golf for the fried egg. Uh, but yeah, the fried egg golf. Um, we do a newsletter three days a week. If you're into the sport, you can sign up there. I would recommend it. And I'm on Twitter at jrigden5 as well. Uh, that is That just made me die. I didn't even think about that. Like It's probably like, oh, whatever. These guys are drunk. It's not... <laughs> Yeah, it's a much yeah, <laughs> right. It's a much different scale of controversy, and <laughs> it's honestly refreshing for me. Uh, to <laughs> you guys could suck it up and play a surrounded 16th hole. That's exactly bit. right. Is the merger exactly done? Right. Is it this year? I don't. We'll talk about that later. We'll be back tomorrow, <laughs> everybody. Talking Pacers, Raptors, whatever happened in that game. Did the Pacers get their good vibes win? I have no expectations for them anymore. We'll see Friday. We'll preview some All-Star stuff, take a little bit of State of the Team kind of stuff. Next week, we'll talk about what happened at All-Star Weekend. And I'll do a mailbag, finally, I, I promise. Uh, lots of fun stuff coming. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful day. See you soon.